working to feed the hungry and to obtain adequate food for poor people in our society has long been central to my own justice and service work. When I was in high school, I spent many weekends volunteering with a group called Youth Service Opportunities Project. Based in the Friends Meeting House near Union Square in Manhattan, this program brought together high school and college youth from around the New York metro area for weekends of service to the homeless of New York City. With other teenagers, I prepared sandwiches for distribution at Grand Central Station after dark, ran a Friday night soup kitchen on the Lower East Side, and volunteered at sites around the area from the infamous welfare hotels of the time to cockroach-infested food distribution centers. When I first joined a Unitarian Universalist congregation some 15 years ago in North Carolina, I found that congregation busy at work on issues related to food and hunger as well. Several of the ministries of that fellowship had to do with food, from working at the food pantry to gleaning on marketable sweet potatoes to fighting for justice for the millions of migrant farm workers in our country. The gleaning ministry was especially interesting to me. Through the Society of St. Andrew, volunteers are sent to farms where the harvest has already taken place in order to harvest the food left behind, food that's left in the fields because it is too damaged or blemished or ugly to be sold. Believe it or not, sweet potatoes can be too ugly to make it to your local store. And those deemed as such are left in the fields to rot. Luckily, there are many people willing to spend a day of hard labor to make sure that this produce makes it instead to food banks, homeless shelters, and soup kitchens, where it provides real nutrition to people who need it desperately. In 2007, gleaning volunteers collected some 20 million pounds of food that otherwise would have gone to waste. Before Christmas this year, I volunteered with a number of people from this fellowship at the Mount Kisco Interfaith Food Pantry. We had responded to Jane Hewitt's request for extra help this holiday season. Together, we packed over a 100 bags full of food for the hungry people waiting in the cold outside. We figured a hundred bags might do for the two days that the pantry was open that week. It was, after all, significantly more than had been distributed at this time last year. Our efforts would barely last through the first day of the two, though, and some 70 more bags had to be packed the next day. Among the things we placed in each bag were North Carolina-grown sweet potatoes, I noticed that they weren't the prettiest sweet potatoes I'd ever seen. I had a strong feeling I knew where they came from. Food issues in the New York metro area are no better today than they was when I was in high school either. While the homeless are no longer allowed to congregate in Grand Central Station in the warmth after midnight, people, including the youth of our fellowship, are still involved in programs to feed and clothe homeless folks in New York. We didn't call the program Midnight Run when I was in high school, but that's essentially what it was. And the number of people who use that program today continues to climb. And with the economy hitting the skids, the number of unemployed and underemployed people is increasing dramatically, and the number of hungry, hungry people in our community 
is increasing as well. Food banks have been straining for years under the burden of providing nutritious food for communities across our country, and that strain is only getting worse. For the year 2006, the U.S. Department of Agriculture reported that 35.5 million Americans lived in households considered food insecure. Of these people, 22.9 million were adults and 12.6 million were children. That's 17% of all children in our nation. Black and Hispanic households experienced food insecurity at far higher rates than the national average, 22% and 20% respectively. In fact, 10.4% of New York households are labeled food insecure, which means that they do not have access to enough food for, quote, an active, healthy life for all household members. Some 4% of New York households experience chronic hunger and malnutrition. And the numbers on food insecurity and hunger are bound to rise when the statistics for 2008 and 2009 come out. We cannot wait for the statistics to be logged in order to do something. We must seek both short and long-term solutions to issues of food insecurity in this country and in this community. People must be able to eat now, and they must have access to adequate, nutritious food from now on. You might be wondering, though, whether there aren't programs to help people who don't have enough food to eat. Programs like food stamps. And the answer is that, yes, these programs exist, but they are woefully inadequate. Consider the hypothetical average family on the U.S. Department of Agriculture's own website for that program, formerly known as food stamps, now the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. This average family of four has $1,500 a month in earned income. That's $18,000 a year for a family of four. They get a little bit from Social Security because of this low income, an amount that pretty much goes right out the door for their childcare expenses. You can imagine what they must spend on rent to live in New York. Actual housing expenses don't count to the federal government. They don't own a car because if they did, the value of that car would have been counted towards the $2,000 in total resources that families are allowed to own to be eligible for the program. Nor do they have any money in the bank. They're living paycheck to paycheck. Believe it or not, this family earns entirely too much to be eligible for the maximum food stamp benefit for a family of four, which would be $588 a month. You would have to have a net income of zero to qualify for that stunning sum. The program is prorated based on income, so this family of four gets $239 a month, which works out to a little under $2 a day per person in their family. $2 a day. The average food stamp benefit for those poor enough to be eligible for assistance until recently has been just about $1 per person per meal. $3 a day, $21 a week. And last year's farm bill didn't raise those amounts by much, though it was the first time they'd been raised in 20 years. When was the last time you had a meal that cost only a dollar for all of the ingredients? 
The federal food stamp program is so inadequate that it has led many, including some members of Congress, to participate in what's called the food stamp challenge, in which people try to live on food costing only $21 for a week. Almost uniformly, the people who have tried this challenge have found it difficult at the very least. Most have found it impossible to obtain adequate nutrition, even if they can manage adequate calorie intake for a week. Sarah Barr, a reporter for the Sentinel newspaper in Maryland, ended her article reflecting upon her participation in the challenge with this reflection. I'm pretty confident I'll make it through the next three days. I still have, after all, half a dozen eggs, three apples, one yam, half a box of pasta, one quart of milk, six pieces of bread, six slices of cheese, half a bag of rice, four packs of instant noodles, and half a jar of peanut butter. Like I said, I haven't been extremely hungry, and while I know the diet isn't nutritious, it's enough to keep me going. One more confession, though, she writes. Saturday is my last day, and I plan to quit as soon as I scarf down an early dinner so that I can go out with my older brother for his birthday. I'm willing to bet drinks and dinner take two are in order. The conclusion of my week spent on a food stamp diet will be a celebration. Hardly a realistic end, she writes. Food bank directors, like the one interviewed by Barr, report that usage of their services increases dramatically after the middle of the month when food stamp benefits begin to run out for many families. For years, I've been interested in issues of hunger and food insecurity. I've understood issues of food and hunger as an indelible part of my own justice work, even if they were not the center of it at times. It was, therefore, with great interest that I participated in the voting for a new four-year study action topic at last year's General Assembly of Unitarian Universalist congregations. The winning choice was the one that got my vote, a proposal called Ethical Eating, Food and Environmental Justice. From now until 2012, Unitarian Universalist congregations across our nation will engage in reflection and action on that topic, and I knew that it was one that I would be very interested in. I feared, however, that ethical eating, that was the title, meant merely trying to convince everyone to be vegetarians. While I have a lot of respect for that point of view, and while I spent eight years as a vegetarian for reasons having to do with environmentalism and world hunger, my years of work on food, hunger, and poverty issues had led me to know that there was more to the issue than that. And I was not disappointed by the way in which the issue was taken up by our association. From the very beginning, it was recognized that there were many issues wrapped up in the topic of ethical eating, economic security issues, issues of race, class, and oppression, issues of trade, labor, and even climate change were being addressed. Environmental justice, including environmental racism, was seen as a related issue to that of food. And I readily volunteered when I was asked to work on the study guide for our congregations, even though I had way too much on my plate already at the time. And so I'd like to invite this congregation to become one of the many that will work on this issue over the coming, of, coming years.
First, I'd like to invite you to take the food stamp challenge with me. I'd like us to do it together this March and to reflect on our experiences together. If you're interested, let me know, and I'll tell you when I'll be doing it and give you the rules. Next, I'd like to invite you to some programs I'll be putting together this year. I'll try to mix it up, maybe a movie night, a discussion group, a class. If there's something you're particularly interested in, I trust you will let me know. But finally, and most importantly, I want to invite you to start thinking about ways in which we can help implement sustainable solutions to food security issues in this community, in our own community. What are the long-term solutions that this community needs to help people have enough food to eat, food with enough adequate nutritional value? I know that there are some people in this very fellowship who are already thinking about these things. Peggy Clark, who I'm hoping we'll see more of once she's done with her ministerial internship, is beginning one such program in Mount Kisco, a community garden that would also be a cooperative raising produce for poor and hungry people in our area. And I'll leave you with that teaser rather than go into more depth and instead invite her to tell you more when she has the time to do that. I know that you'll be as excited as I will about this project that's starting right up the road at the Marsh Sanctuary and that will, we hope, be Peggy's community ministry when she is ordained to the Unitarian Universalist ministry. I've had several exciting conversations with her about it, and I think our fellowship will be eager to help. Jane Hewitt, of course, serves on the board of the local interfaith food pantry and is also involved in this issue as are all of the many people of this fellowship who cooked for this congregation's week with the emergency homeless shelter project last week. But there have to be other ideas out there, and I would like to hear them. Together, I believe that this fellowship can make a huge difference in this community, and I hope that you will agree that this is an issue we can all work on. Blessed be.